0: Welcome and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning, you are with Lyle and Kate. Kate, you're still here. I am. That's that's fantastic. (laughs) I've been away and you've been holding the fort. So that's just been amazing. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Hey, tell me, Kate, what are you thankful for this morning?
1: I'm thankful for table tennis. So I've been working, um, you know, at a desk lately, answering phones, looking at a computer, and then lunchtime comes and everything changes. And we just, the energy, the excitement, the um, animation, uh, you know, um our hands coordinating with our brains sometimes our hands are a lot faster than our brains and it's just so much fun i'm a little bit competitive so yeah it's just
0: been the highlight okay okay define a little bit competitive
1: <laughs> i like to win <laughs>
0: <laughs> in in other words she's way competitive <laughs> I'm don't fine. get don't get on the table tennis table with Kate. She <laughs> will uh, she will go in to crush you.
1: <laughs> I'm fine if I lose. I just really like to win.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so that's in so you've got what, three different jobs this week?
1: Yes. So radio and then office and uh in the evening, I've been doing a bit of recording, and today I'm going to do colon hydrotherapy. So you've
0: got four different jobs happening in the moment. Kate's <laughs> a busy, busy person. It's been a stretching week. And the table tennis, I'm thinking, relates to the office, one of those four jobs. It does. It yes, does. Yes, because I have I have been in the office when that has been happening. In fact, I've picked up the, uh, what do you call it, a, battle, a paddle or a uh, bat? Or a
2: paddle, I think. The
0: thing that you hit the table yes. tennis ball with and had a bit of a crack myself. I'm not good at it. I can serve a blazing serve and nothing else.
1: Okay, that's a good start.
0: It's my only trick. (laughs) If, If anyone sends it back my direction, I'm done. Okay. So I just have to win on every serve. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Where will owls gather? Okay, let's have some positively different news. And let's see if anyone can figure out the quiz.
1: All right. Apparently, there's a song.
0: Oh, what? what, what oh, 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 yes, 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 yes. What am I talking about? What am I talking about? Before we go to positively different news, thank you for reminding me. Okay, so uh, you will all remember on Kate's first day on radio, we threw out a challenge. Yes. Because on the first day of radio, we were talking about Isaiah chapter fifty-five and verse one. Which is a great piece of poetry, even when it's translated into English.
1: True, very it's true. It's just,
0: it's just, it's just a beautiful scripture. And uh, just off the bat, I'm like, Kate, you should write a song on this. So I did, <laughs> and we're going to hear it at the end of this segment. So stay tuned. Kate's going to give us our positively different news, and then we're going to hear a brand new song. You will be the first people to hear yes. it, apart from I think My uh, producer Shell, myself, your husband, and Marta. And Marta. Okay, so there've been five people who've yes. heard this song so far. <laughs> so it's it's brand new. Is this going to go on an album?
1: Uh yes. I might need to do a few things to it first. A this bit, is a little a bit very bit of final, demo.
0: Final tweaking. Definitely.
1: I need some musicians.
0: It's it's been tweaked a little bit already though since the first. Yeah, year. yeah. Through the week, it's been tweaked. Yes. Well, the first
1: edition I sent had no instruments at all, so it's <laughs> that's
2: a
3: there. tweak.
0: Getting Getting there. <laughs> all right. Yes. So um, that's coming up.
1: Okay, yes. Also, in positively different news, a social enterprise in Scotland announced on Friday that it will open eight zero-waste supermarkets across the country. So the company's name is Locavore um, and it has its own organic food, has two shops in Glasgow and they said it's part of a plan to build a more sustainable food system. So the company in is inviting members of the public to suggest it um via its website the locations for the supermarket. And uh the co-founder says you know they want to scale up, they want to do it really fast, but they want to do it while becoming part of the local communities instead of being being another faceless supermarket
0: okay so how do you have a zero waste supermarket you know supermarkets i think by definition don't they create lots and lots of waste they
1: do and i have been to i guess small scale uh, versions of this and they have these big tubs and you bring your own jar or they have well the ones that i went to had paper bags that you could fill um you know nuts and seeds and things like that Um, but yeah if you bring your own jars i can see how it could happen
0: I think this is an awesome idea. I do too. I can remember back in the day when people used to actually keep jars. I, you know, when I was a kid, you sort of keep glass jars and yeah. put things in them. I do it. I really? I do it. <laughs> there you go. Go, cake. Yes,
1: the bottom drawer. Very full.
0: So all of the old, like, pasta jars yeah. and stuff like that, they'll get washed out. And... Yep. See, I used to keep jars like that for putting nuts and bolts in, but I kept dropping them on the concrete Ooh. floor.
1: Yeah, no, that's not good.
0: And... Um, then having to collect up nuts and bolts <laughs> while trying not to cut myself on glass.
1: Yes. <laughs> All right. Our next story comes from the UK. And because of COVID, hugs are banned and many venues are closed. Yet, despite having to keep physically apart, uh, the UK have actually grown closer together in the pandemic. The Together Coalition suggested that most people in the UK feel the country had become more united since the pandemic and um, the charity estimated that as many as 12.4 million people have volunteered during the crisis. Despite the immense challenges of this pandemic, people have responded by pulling together, not apart.
0: That's fantastic. I was um, hearing something um, in during the meetings while I was away and I think it was a I think the drug was oxytocin which your body naturally releases the love hormone and you get that from hugs yes and everybody's been severely depleted during COVID yes. because there just hasn't been enough hugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're a health person, you know about this. Yeah, yeah. is <laughs> th- very cool information.
1: <laughs> and people try and get it from their phones, I believe now. So it's just like, oh, I got a message. Okay, there's a little oxytocin hit.
0: <laughs> but it's kind of really, really tiny. tiny. They say that the biggest hit that any human being can ever get Is when a mother breastfeeds a baby for the first time. Okay. And that's just like a massive off the charts hit that. Wow. You know, it's a one-off, it's a one-off event. So. Yes. Oh, there you go. Very
1: cool. Uh, more news. In Fiji, uh, as you may be aware, in 2016 there was Cyclone Winston of 280 kilometre per hour winds, and it devastated um, uh, parts of Fiji. But a recent dive expedition by Wildlife Conservation Society revealed that there is nothing to fear, and the corals are reproducing at an exceptional rate along with brightly colored corals the area was teeming with tropical fish and other sea life which is crucial to parts of the Fijian population which depend on obviously a healthy ocean for income and food security so that's very good news for Fiji
0: yes fish is a uh, important part of a diet in a developing country where you might not have as much access. And Fiji is is definitely more developed than some of of the other countries out there. But, you know, I've been to the Solomon Islands and places like that where, you know, a large portion of the population have no access to currency. Mm. And so, yeah, being able to hunt and gather is an important supplement to what you can grow in Mm. your backyard.
1: Fish and coconuts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, another little quick story. Also in London, billboards are usually just trying to sell us something and it's usually all about consumerism and helping brands to promote their products. But advertising billboards in parts of London are carrying a different kind of message promoting the virtues of empathy. So, with billboard space not selling during the pandemic, Brotherhood Media, and ad agency, invited artists and musicians to submit designs that would help spread positivity. Oh,
0: nice. <laughs> I like this. Yeah.
1: So, the latest billboard says, become empathy machines.
0: <laughs> so, you see all these billboards out there and they're just like, oh, you can't unsee this. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sick of seeing that. I you know. know. Put something on there other than, you know, it's not, somebody's not spending money on it. So, I'm glad that somebody is. But uh, we are now come to the end of this segment and you are about to hear for the very first time Kate Garriga with Isaiah 55.
3: Everyone who thirsts come to the waters You who have no money come by and eat Yes, come by wine and milk without money Without price Where do you spend money For what is not bread And your wages For what does not satisfy Listen carefully to me Eat what is good Let your soul delight itself In abundance your ear come to me here and your soul shall live Shall run to you because of the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel. He's glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may. Way the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to. And
0: You're listening to the Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so there's a new doco that's come out. Uh, this one is called Till Kingdom Come and it explores one of the questions, one of the probably most puzzling questions in Christianity and politics today. Uh, so this one caught my attention, very interested to, uh, to check it out myself because it's put out by uh, um, an Israeli filmmaker by the name of Maya Zinstein and it looks at the link between Evangelicals and the State of Israel. So this one has kind of always done my head in and it's done my head in even more since I actually visited the State of Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a complex alliance between Evangelicals, the Israeli government um the West Bank Jewish settlements, um, and a whole bunch of US charities that support, you know, the Israeli government and the West Bank uh, settlements financially. And I've always kind of, it's always kind of done my head in as to why is this the case? Why do we have this link, this very, very powerful link? And I can understand it to some extent between a Christian and non-Christian religion um, because, you know, our roots in Christianity are definitely found in the Jewish religion. There's no question about that at all. Um, we're an Abrahamic religion. And so there's there's always going to be a, a feeling from us of a certain level, I think, of brotherhood, sisterhood, there simply because, you know, this is the nation that for thousands of years was God's church. Mm. Now, um, in looking at the support for Israel, they've, in, you know, looked at issues like the financial support, the moral support, the ideological support, um, obligatory res- support, so, you know, because it seemed to be required, theological support, and they've also looked at how sacrificial some of these churches and groups can actually be in supporting the state of Israel, and so you know they've looked into very very poor communities like communities in Kentucky that you know thirty eight percent below the poverty line, and yet sending thousands and thousands of dollars to support the state of Israel and to support West Bank settlements and to support you know politics and of course this is a this is a very challenging place to be supporting you know political ideological ideologies because it is a very very violent part of the world. Uh, We have to recognize that. And it comes down to a theological connection. And so this is where it really, really comes from. And I think sometimes that we need to be aware of our theology and ask ourselves the question, you know, is our theology right or is it wrong? Is it bad or is it good? And what are the results? You know, what is the product? What are, the, what are the outcomes that our theology is actually creating? Are these good outcomes or bad outcomes? Because I see some outcomes here that, to me, are a little bit scary, to be honest. Yes. Okay, so th- this is a theology that believes that uh, there are a number of things that are necessary to take place before Jesus comes back. And one of them being the creation of the State of Israel. I see that happening back in 1948. Uh, another, th- another one of them being Jerusalem being proclaimed the capital of of the state of Israel. Now, that's never happened. Uh, the United States has, you know, moved its embassy there to sort of pronounce that in its view, Jerusalem is the capital of that particular state, but Tel Aviv is the capital of the state of Israel. Another aspect of it is the rebuilding of the temple, and this one is built on such flimsy biblical evidence. And what I find really bizarre about this one is that. All of the prophecies in the Bible that describe the rebuilding of the temple describe it as being a glorious, wonderful event that is celebrated by God and his people, you know, across the world. And yet if that temple is rebuilt and its sacrificial system restarted, then that would be blasphemy Mm. for Christians against what Jesus did when he died on Calvary and brought that system to an end. And so I'm thinking, how can that be a good thing? Mm. You know, if you believe that that is something that is, you know, we need to support financially, then are you denying the sacrifice of Christ or are you supporting the reign of the Antichrist so that Christ can come back? And is that something we should do? You see, it gets really, really complex and Mm. twisted, you know, when you sort of start to go down this particular path. Of course, you've you've got there the reign of the Antichrist, the seven-year tribulation, um, You've got the, um, and this is another thing that, that, that a lot of the evangelicals will teach, and of course I'm speaking very generally here, is that two thirds of the Jews will be condemned to die during the seven year tribulation. At least two thirds. And there'll be a remnant that will give their lives to Jesus Christ. And so once again, are you financially supporting a system? You know, are you donating money so that this can happen? Mm. And what does that actually mean? Um And then, of course, you know, that all finishes off with the Battle of Armageddon. So you can kind of see it how, how it's confusing to a lot of Jewish people. They sort of look back and say, thank you for the money. But? um We're not so keen on everything that you're teaching, but mm. thank you for the money. Mm. And you can't blame them for that. You know, hey, if somebody came along to me and said, you know, uh, we're going to support people who live in, you know, uh, the Lower Hunter Valley, I'd be like. Thank you. That's, that's a blessing, you know, and they might be have some ideology that, uh, or theology that I'm completely, uh, disagreeing with, but hey, who says no to a few, a bit of extra cash every now and then? Um, so what's interesting is that a lot of the money, it's not going to charitable, um, projects and if it was going to charitable projects. I really don't care where it is. You know, it can be in, it can be in the state of Israel, it can be in the, in the, in, in the nation of China, or, you know, pick your, pick your spot. If it's helping people out, send the money, yep. help them out. Um, we're all about charitable projects, but it's going to political causes, particularly settlements in the West Bank. And this is what causes all the rift between, you know, in the State of Israel and the occupied territories. You've always got this friction between the two. You've got, you know, people throwing rocks one direction and firing rockets, and then you've got, you know, guns being fired the other direction. And, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, really? Do you want to support that financially? I mean, that's just, wow. Mm. Anyway, um, and, and, and this is where it gets even more bizarre, So in the West Bank, half of the West Bank is made up of Christian people. The Palestinians, half of the Palestinians are Christian. And so what you've got is Christians funding the persecution of Christians by a non-Christian nation. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's based on uh, theology and ideology. So, you know, this is exploring a lot of questions that I think that as Christians... We need to stop and ask these questions and say, okay, is there something wrong with our theology? Is there some things here that we need to reconsider? And I would say that there is, and we do. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Is that? Joining us on the phone this morning um, is Luke Ferrugia from Oz Table Talk. Luke, welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, good morning. Thank you. Hey, Luke, so glad that you can join us this morning to talk about Oz Table, Table Talk. And uh, for those who might not be familiar, of course, Oz Table Talk is just a bunch of young guys that have the conversations. No, that record the conversations that you kind of have um, over dinner or lunch after church on a Saturday or Sunday morning. You know, what do young guys actually talk about? And so if you want to know what young guys talk about, listen to Oz Table Talk. Uh, what have the young guys been talking about this month, Luke?
4: So you know, a few topics that we've covered. Uh, one of the, one of the most recent ones that came out we was um, actually filming a question. We had a, a guest on the show who hasn't been on before, and uh, he asked a question. You know, Does being persecuted mean that you're in the right? And uh, it's an interesting, sort of a concept. But sometimes, if you hear people saying, "Oh, well, you know," Life, life, pretty hard or, or, you know, someone is persecuting me and so therefore, I'm, you know, Satan must be angry and I must be doing the right thing. It's sort of the, the, the reasoning that goes into it. And so we thought we'd have a discussion and uh, see what, see where that went.
0: That's an interesting discussion to have. I guess the thing that first pops into my mind is that one of the most persecuted groups um, on the planet right now would be the Uyghur Muslims in China. About two million of them have been placed into concentration camps because of their faith, and yet it's a faith that I have theological disagreements with.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And there's, there's a number of reasons, right? Like, I, I mean, people like to uh, find uh, reason in suffering, right, like whenever there's something going wrong, but ultimately that is, um, that is a completely separate factor as opposed to whatever the accuracy is, right? The, the truth is not necessarily how you found the meaning. That, that could just be you making yourself feel better as well, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: in, indeed. Mm-hmm. And, and with suffering, I guess the question that goes through my mind, I don't know whether you guys talked about this or not, but mm. is there always a meaning other than the yeah. picture of the great controversy and the fact mm. we've been caught in you know, with collateral damage?
4: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, mean, I don't think we talked about that. But I think that we definitely do have suffering that uh, has no direct meaning. I think we can we can find meaning in it that uh, you know we can grow personally as a result. Uh, you know, if we we have our, our faith in, in Jesus and we're we're pointed in the right direction. But yeah, I think there's absolutely some da- some damage that is simply that it's collateral damage that is uh, coming as a result of what's going on. But one of the the things that we did talk about was that. Uh, you know, in our society, in our culture, you know, do, we, you know, how do we define, uh, persecution? Do we actually see it in, uh, you know, in our culture? And, uh, we sort of talked about it, about what that looked like. And one of the conclusions that we came to is that we don't actually see a lot of, uh, what I, what we would call true persecution, right? Like, you know, we're not being hunted. Our lives are not threats. We don't have those kinds of threats by our life in, at least in our, um, society here in Australia. And so we were talking about, you know, what that really means for our Christianity because Christianity has always seemed to attract persecution wherever it goes. And so what does that mean about our faith if we're not saying that today was another question we looked at.
0: Mm, mm, yeah. Mm, mm. I, I'm, I'm curious to know because, I mean, when you first posed, posed that uh, particular question, you know, is persecution a sign that we are in the right, that the devil mm. is on our case? you know, the first thing that came into my the first example that came into my mind to challenge that, that concept uh, was the Uyghur Muslims. Were, were there other examples that the, uh, that the guys sort of raised and, you know, as actual, you know, examples, object lessons, you know, of a similar nature?
4: Yeah, well, uh, the guy, like, we sort of pulled a few, um, examples or experiences from our own life or, or people that we have known personally. One of the, I guess one of the, the, well, some of the larger examples that we pulled out, we were looking at examples, some examples of scriptures, but also we were talking about how, um, you know, the culture that we're in seems to, um, or at least there seems to be a lot of uh, people that like to have a, a victim mindset, you know, where they're looking for someone to be against them to justify their own position. Mm-hmm. And so we, well, we did talk a lot about how we can evaluate ourselves and ask ourselves, you know, are, are we approaching these circumstances from the right place? Do we, are we, do we have our hearts in the right place when we feel like we're experiencing persecution? Or are you know, circumstances just not working out the way we want them to? And how do we, how do we navigate that it was where we, we spent a lot of time.
0: Did you talk about how to, because I think that's a very important issue in our world today, because once a person Mm. becomes, you know, buys into the whole victim mindset, it basically paralyzes their entire life. Did you spend any time talking about how to work past the victim mindset
4: and become become a
0: survivor rather than a victim?
4: Yeah, yeah. So we, we talked a lot about taking responsibility, and you know responsibility and, and blame can be two completely different things. You know, I I, do, I use an example of a, a client that I used to work with, who um, he was a serial entrepreneur. He just started so many companies, and he's definitely not a Christian. And but he taught me a lesson about this. And I was talking to him one day, we we're having a meeting regards work, and uh, he was talk, telling me about a situation that he was dealing with with one of his, his staff that that wasn't working out so well, and. Uh, and I said, "How do you how do you deal with that?" He said, "Well, ultimately, I have the, it's my responsibility. It's not actually his fault. If anything goes wrong, it's my fault, it's not because I did the wrong thing, but because I either didn't train them well enough, or I didn't hire the right person, or whatever. But whatever I make it the employees' fault and make it their problem, I don't have any control over fixing it." And ever since he said that to me, it always stuck in my mind that um, you know, if if we take control for uh, sorry, take responsibility for what's going on in our life, what's going on around us, we may not have absolute control over everybody else's um, decisions and choices, but we do have control over our own and how we view them, and it, that's where we can affect change and get out of that mindset.
0: Mm, mm. Mm. That sounds like a really interesting discussion and I'm so glad that you covered it on Oz Table Talk. I'd encourage all of our listeners to mm. uh, head across there to Oz Table Talk and to check that one out. What other discussions mm. have you had in the last month? So we did a, a two
4: part series called the Three Hymn Sandwich. <laughs> and uh, for, for anybody who's listening who's not familiar with that expression, it, it's one that's been coined in regards to traditional church services, you know, where, where you the, the form is always the same. You, know, you go, go in, there's the, the announcement, a hymn, a prayer, another hymn, a sermon, and then a hymn to close. As it, it's been termed the Three Hymn Sandwich. And so we, basically, the, the purpose of this discussion was asking ourselves, does this structure serve us well? Is it, is it, actually, is it the best way for it to do church? Or is, um, you know, are there alternative um, formats that work better? Or, like, is there something else that we should be looking at? Or is that not the point at all and we should be focusing on another part of it?
0: That's an interesting one. And, of course, uh, for those who are unfamiliar with the history of the Three hymn Sandwich, if you actually trace it back, its origins are Methodist... Um, and they go back a couple of hundred years. I mean, the Three Hymn Sandwich yeah. has been around for a long time. I don't know how many other churches. Of course, we have it in the Adventist Church, but there's probably you know, quite a number of churches out there that have a heritage of mm. the Three Hymn Sandwich. Tell me, does your church have a Three Hymn Sandwich? Mine? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that makes it particularly relevant then. So you're going to a church that has a Three Hymn Sandwich. So uh, what was the conclusion at the end of that?
4: Okay, so we, as, we, as we worked that one through, we, we spent a lot of time deciding or discussing, I should say, what worship actually meant. Like, if we're going to church to worship God, then what does that mean? And does that require a, a certain program or a premium sandwich, so to speak? And uh, ultimately, the, the decision that we came to, we, we talked about, because uh, uh, for us, as in the conversation, the church, as I said, that we attend, is more traditional in that way. Um, but we were talking about, is that really... Is that really the problem? And the conclusion that we arrived at was that it's actually not whether you have a traditional worship service or a contemporary worship service that actually isn't necessarily what constitutes true worship. True worship is probably more in line with what happens in the rest of the week. You know how are we how are we living out our Christianity as a church congregation as a church family? And like to, to bolster that, I, there's a friend of mine is pastor, and I was visiting his church. It's an it's a more contemporary style of church, and he was telling me about members that he has that were telling him that they hate, that he asked them what they thought of the church service and they told, them, told him how much they hated it. And, he, and they're very close by to other churches and he said well, you know, I'm happy that, I'm glad you're with us but why did you come to our church if you don't agree with the, the worship service? And their response was well, you guys are doing Jesus' work more than any other church that we've seen and so therefore we are here because that's what we're here for. We're here to follow Jesus and serve others and that's what you guys are doing and so that's why we're here. And To me, that's really what church is about. It's about the community of believers that are formed who are then doing what Jesus intended them to do. The service, I think we should be putting a lot of effort and energy into making it the most worshipful and the best quality experience that we can. But whether you've got uh, like a standard format, like a 3 ham sandwich, or it's slightly different to that, doesn't make a lot of difference to the overall spirituality of what's going on.
0: For sure, for sure. And so Mm. I think that, you know, regardless of the format and there are so many different formats that are out mm. there you know when you mm. look around australia when you look around the world when you look around the you know the different christian denominations or then if you mm-hmm. look back through the last 2000 years of the history of christianity or if you go back even further into you know um jewish israelite uh, worship mm. There have been so many different forms and traditions that to you know place a particular significance on you know any one form is really missing the point, isn't it?
4: Yeah, and I think one thing that, that um, stood out to me as well in the conversation is that we live in a in a uh, well, we live in a in a culture that is just like you said, you know, the, the traditional Methodist uh, format that is hundreds of years old. Our culture has progressed a lot since then, and so there is a lot to be said for looking at the, the culture that you exist in and, and forming what you do as a result of that or, or, or tailoring that to a greater extent. And that's not to say that we should forego our, like our teachings and change our doctrines. That's not the point. But the format, you know, some people, like in some societies, they, they go really well with, you know, that, that long, more you know, liturgical sort of format, whereas, you know, some places, like some place, where we live now, would probably do better uh, focusing more on interactive presentations and those sort of things. So I think we need to be aware who we're trying to minister to.
0: Yes, yes. And, Mm. you know, you go, for instance, if if you're worshipping in a a country that Mm. has got a very, say, for instance, strong Roman Catholic background, um, Mm. they're going to appreciate a much more liturgical service than, say, for instance, you know, in our Western culture where we tend to be more relaxed as a general rule. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, what else have you guys been talking about? We've got a couple of minutes left. Let's uh, let's hear it real quick.
4: Yeah. All right, let's have a quick one. So we've one wild list, and, and that was, we talked about the title of the episode was The Evolution of Thought. And and really the, the question that we were dealing with is, why is it so hard for us to change our mind? Once, once we find something that we like or we agree with, why is it just so difficult to see the world or see God or see anything any other way?
0: Right, so the,
4: yes. So the, just to, to sort of make that a little bit uh, a little bit faster for the sake of time, basically the conclusion that we were sort of focused down on is that um, we often, you know, we, we like that familiarity and so we, we therefore uh, look for details, we look for facts, we look for data that back up our existing position and it takes a lot of conscious effort for us to approach things with a, with a humble mindset, really willing to look at it and, and say, hey, maybe I was wrong. And so that is really what is required for us to be true. If we're going to be true followers of Jesus, true followers of God, true studyers of the Bible, we need to be approaching it from a position of humility because only then will we be be able to access and agree with new, correct information when it presents.
0: That's a really challenging one, uh, particularly Mm. when you have believed something, you have taught something and then you read something in the Bible that actually challenges that, I know from my own experience it can be very, very challenging to turn around and say, well, you know what? I was actually wrong uh, when I preached that particular sermon, and uh, sorry, but um, I have since then found new light. It um, be a, a very, very humbling experience, but one that we all always need to be open too, because we need to recognize our humanity and recognize that in our humanity we have that danger of, uh, of uh you know, just sticking to things because that was what we grew up with rather than what the Bible says. Luke, thank you so much for joining us here on uh, Faith FM this morning. Uh, we are out of time. This is The Corner Room with Psalms 119, 33 to 40.
4: And we are the hosts of the Marriage Project.
1: We have a lot of fun on the Marriage Project where we talk about biblical wisdom for marriage, how it translates into real life, and we want to be with you building stronger
4: marriages. So you can join us every Friday afternoon at 3:30 p.m. right here on Faith FM. You're listening to Faith
5: FM, positively different radio.